Well, if you would, turn your Bibles to John chapter 16. We are continuing our red letter series where we have been looking at the letters in red, the words of Jesus in the Gospels as well as in the book of Revelation, that we've been looking at what has Jesus, what did Jesus have to say about things like the last days, stress and worry, leadership, what did Jesus have to say to the church, and over these last several weeks we've been looking at what did Jesus say about the Holy Spirit, and today is going to be our third study and final study in that part of this series And um, also, I just wanted to mention this coming Wednesday night, we're really looking forward to our Thanksgiving Eve service. It's going to be awesome. Unfortunately, all of our seats um, have been filled, and um, as far as here in the sanctuary, um, but there is still seating outside and also in the overflow room, and it will be streamed online as well. You don't want to miss that service. But this morning, we are John chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. Follow along as I read. These things I have spoken to you, that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues, yes. And the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I have told you that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. But now I go away to him who sent me. And none of you ask, where are you going because, but because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you, and when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged." I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. And he will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you, and all things that the Father has are mine, and therefore I said that he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much that you have given us your word. And you tell us that your word is living and powerful, that it has the ability to transform. It has the ability to do surgery. It has the ability to heal and to challenge, to convict. And God, we pray that your word would do all of that today here in this room as we give you our hearts and we give you our attention. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapters 13 through 17 make up what is known as the upper room discourse. It's the teaching that Jesus gives prior to going to the cross. 
And he's meeting in this upper room with his disciples and he's sharing some of the most important things on his heart. And we've noted that in this this discourse, this conversation that he has with them, one of the things that was paramount on his heart was the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit was going to come to them and do a work in them and do a work through them. And that takes a a big portion of what he has been talking about here in in uh, in this, this passage. But we also noted here in our reading that this is some heavy stuff that Jesus is talking about here. The context of this conversation is that tough times are coming. Jesus said, you know, they're going to push you out of, they'll throw you out of the synagogues. They're going to even kill some of you. That persecution is on the way. And then he also says in verses 5 and 6, I'm leaving you. And because of that, he said, their hearts were filled with sorrow. And Jesus sums up this whole conversation with these words in verse 33. If you want to jump down to verse 33, he says, These things I've spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In other words, I don't want you to be freaking out over all of this. He says, in the world you will have, not you may have, not you might have, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And in verse 7, Jesus gives them the real reason why their hearts should be full of cheer and confidence instead of fear and sorrow when he says this, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I depart, I will send him to you. And what Jesus is telling them here is that he is doing a new thing. That he is doing a new work. That he is going to be working in their lives in a new relationship. That he's not going to be with them anymore physically in a human form. But he is now going to be with them through his spirit that he's sending to him. And he even uses this phrase that it is to your advantage that I go. Now why would he say that? Well you see when Jesus was with them in a bodily form he could only be with one of them, or one group of them, in one place at one time. So if John, for instance, was in Jerusalem, and Jesus was with John, he couldn't be with John in Jerusalem and Peter when he was in Samaria at the same time. He had to choose. But now through his Spirit living in their hearts and living in our hearts, that he can be with all of us all the time, 24-7, no matter where we are at. And so Jesus said, it's to your advantage that I go away. And in this passage, he talks to them about the work of the Holy Spirit. And we see that it's threefold. It's to gather, to guide, and to glorify. And so that'll be our focus, our outline this morning, to gather. And so, number one, um, speaking of the Holy Spirit, he says in verse 8, And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. The word convict is a legal term that means to bring to light, to expose, or to convince. And I want you to note that the conviction of the Holy Spirit is meant to bring us to Jesus. And it's very important that we understand the difference between the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the condemnation of the enemy. 
The conviction of the Holy Spirit is always meant to bring to light or to expose those things in your life that are keeping you from God. But it seeks to bring those things to light in order to say, hey, Rob, this is a problem in your life. This is causing a wedge between you and your heavenly father. And so you need to turn from that. You need to change that because he's always seeking in his conviction to pull us in to relationship with God to pull us toward the Lord. That's always the work of the conviction of the Holy Spirit. It's to bring to light those things that are hindering your relationship with God because he wants to pull you into relationship with God. The condemnation of the enemy is the opposite of that. The condemnation of the enemy seeks to bring to light or expose or remind you of what you already know that you have done that is wrong because the condemnation of the enemy is always seeking to push you away from God. To say, you know, Rob, you've blown it too. You went too far this time. Or, the, or God, he's just tired of your ups and downs. There's no use. Why bother? And it's always that voice that's seeking to push us away. And so it's important that we understand that. And Jesus says that the work of the Holy Spirit is to convict us of sin. But I want you to note this. It's not just of any sin. Notice verse 9. Of sin because they did not believe in me. The conviction of the Holy Spirit, what he seeks to do in our lives is to remind us of that void that we feel in our hearts. When we don't know Christ, you remember back when you didn't know Christ, you know, it's been said that, that every man has a God-shaped hole in their heart that can only be filled by Jesus. And, and, and we all felt that. We all felt that sense of that void in our hearts that we were trying to stuff other things into that hole and hoping that it was going to satisfy us and make us happy. But nothing did because that void in our life could only be filled in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so one of the things that the Holy Spirit is seeking to convict us of is our need for Jesus. He's convicting them of sin because they do not believe in me, Jesus said. And I want you to note that there's the one sin, there is one sin that leaves people damned and doomed, and that is the rejection of Jesus Christ. Not murder, not rape, Not any horrible, despicable, evil thing that we could imagine. This You might not like this. I'll be honest with you. I don't like this oftentimes. But a person can be forgiven of any and all of those things. And sometimes I'm like, I don't want that person to be forgiven, Lord. (laughs) They deserve what they're going to get. But no, the blood of Jesus Christ is big enough and great enough that it covers all sin. It's been, said, it's been said that Jesus, his grace, his love, his work on the cross saves to the uttermost, and somebody put it this way, to the guttermost. Doesn't matter how, how far down you go. And that's good news. I mean, if you're here today and you know that you're a sinner, you know that you're not right with God, listen, there's nothing that you have ever done that Jesus can't forgive you for. There's only one thing. And the one thing would be you rejecting what Jesus did on the cross for you. It's you saying, hey, I know I'm a sinner. I know that that I'm doomed. And I know what Jesus did for me. But I don't want that. And you don't embrace that. That's the one sin that sends people to hell. 
That's the one sin that leaves people doomed. That is the only unforgivable sin is the rejection of Jesus Christ. And so the Holy Spirit is seeking to convict the world of sin, of their need for Jesus. Number two, of righteousness. Why? Verse 10, of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Understand, Jesus was the living, breathing embodiment of righteousness. When he was here on planet Earth, people would look at him and they would know like what righteousness looked like because Jesus always did what was right. In every relationship, in every situation, in every conversation, he always treated people in that right way. People could tell, they could see what righteousness looked like in, in, in watching the way that he lived. In fact, the Bible tells us that Jesus grew in his life. He grew in favor with God and man. But now Jesus says, I'm leaving. So the Holy Spirit would come and he would be working in the world to reveal to the world what righteousness looks like. And he seeks to do that in your life, in my life. He reveals righteousness through the word of God. And we, he reveals righteousness to us as he speaks to our hearts where we need to learn how to be sensitive to the the Holy Spirit. You know, in my life, he does this a lot. In conversations. You know, I'm Italian. And, and my problem, you know, with a lot of men, their problem is, is they, don't, they don't talk enough. You know, they're quiet. And they, their wives are always like, you know, I wish you would tell me what you're thinking. You know, my problem is, being Italian, I talk too much, okay? So I get myself in trouble. And there are so many times, and I'm learning. I mean, I turned 57 last week, and I've been walking with Jesus a long time. I'm learning how to listen to that voice of his spirit. And there's times where I'll be in the midst of a conversation, and I want to say something. I'm thinking something, and I'm going to say it. And I hear the voice of the spirit saying to me, don't say that, Rob. That's not going to be good. That's not necessary. That's not needed. And sometimes he uses my wife <laughs> to remind me of that. Sometimes we'll be out to dinner with somebody and, you know, I'm talking there in the conversation as we're eating dinner and all of a sudden I'll feel my wife, you know, touching, kind of rubbing my leg or, or tapping on my leg underneath the table. And now when we were first married, I thought she was getting frisky when she was doing that. <laughs> I thought she was like sending me a signal like, hey, let's get out of here, you know, kind of a thing. I found out later, I said, why were you doing that? She goes, because I knew what you were going to say, and I didn't want you to say it. And the Holy Spirit uses her. I'll feel her. Even now, we've been married over 30 years, and I'll feel her tapping. I'm like, okay, I need to listen to that. Learning about righteousness, right living, the right way, how to in right conversation. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. The third thing is that he says he's going to convict the world of judgment. Why? Verse 11, of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. And the idea here is the realization that there is more to this life than what meets the eye. There's more to this life than, than just this life, that their judgment is coming. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, we're told that it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that comes the judgment. And this will be the judgment. God is going to ask people, what did you do with my son? That's the key. 
I sent my son to die on the cross to pay the price for your sins, and he rose again the third day to give you life. What did you do with that? If you embrace that, you have life. If you rejected that, you have death. There's only those two options. Eternal life or eternal death. Eternal life, living forever in relationship with God in eternity with God and all that he has for us, or eternal death, being eternally separated from him. And so the work of the Holy Spirit is, is to convict the world of judgment, of the idea that, hey, there's more to this life than what meets the eye. There's a life beyond this life. And I think one of the ways that he seeks to do that in, the peop- in, in people's life today is through the proverbial dissatisfaction that people feel with this life. That no matter what they acquire or what they experience or what pleasure they encounter, that there is a sense a week later, a day later, an hour later, there's got to be something else. In fact, I was reading this week an article, an interview with the actor Ethan Hawke, and he said this, drugs and alcohol and depression are formidable opponents all over the world. People think that getting what you want will make you happy. But a sense of self-purpose and love don't come from the outside. You can't get distracted by this culture that celebrates things that sometimes aren't what they seem. What is he saying? I've experienced all these things, but it's not what it seems. And there's something that's missing and lacking in my life. And so the Holy Spirit is seeking to gather people to Jesus, convicting them of their need of Jesus, of righteousness, what right living looks like, of judgment, the reality that this life is not the end. But there's an application in this text that I think it's really, really easy to miss. And if, and if we miss it, we miss a key aspect of what this text is really teaching us. Bible teacher and commentator, the late Ray Stedman, makes this observation about this text. That the context is that Jesus is talking here about the Holy Spirit coming to his disciples. In fact, I want to read over a few of these verses again, emphasizing the word you. And I want you to miss this. We'll start with verse 7. It'll be on the screen. Nevertheless, I tell you. Everybody say you. I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I depart, I will send him to you. Look at verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. He says a little bit later, he will tell you the things to come. And in verse 15, 14 and 15, he says, he's going to come and declare what is mine to you. And so the emphasis here is that the Holy Spirit was coming to them. That's the context. That's the emphasis. The Holy Spirit's coming to you to do a work in you. And because of that, Stedman says this, and when we read verse 8, we should read it in this way, and when he has come to you, it's specific, in other words. It's not general. 
It's not this idea of the Holy Spirit, you know, coming and working in the world, and he's sort of this esoteric, you know, mysterious force. Now, I will say this. Jesus, in John chapter 3, said that the Holy Spirit is like the wind, in the sense that you can't see the wind, but you can see the effect of it. That was his point. And so there is an aspect of, yes, the Holy Spirit works in ways that we can't see and we can't see him. But the point in the context here in this particular passage, and this is why I think it's important that we don't miss to really understand what Jesus is saying, is he's saying the Holy Spirit is coming to you guys. And he's going to do, seek to do a work in you and through you. And the work that he's seeking to do in this world through you is to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. In other words, the Holy Spirit does not work independently of human vessels. The Holy Spirit, we see this all over in the Bible, is always working directly through the church. He's always working directly through the Lord's people. The Holy Spirit is almost always seen working in conjunction with a vessel. We see a great example of this on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit falls on the early church. They're in that upper room. Crowd of people hear the commotion. They gather. And what does the Holy Spirit do? He convicts this crowd of people, 3,000 of them, of their need for Jesus. But the way that he does that is through a human vessel. And his name was Peter. As Peter preached, people got saved. And that's how the Holy Spirit works. And this is what Jesus is saying here is the Holy Spirit is going to work through human vessels like you guys to convict the world of sin, of righteousness and judgment. In fact, I would venture to say that those of you who are Christians here, that for most of you, if not all of you, you came to Christ because somebody shared Jesus with you. A human being talked to you about your need for Christ. You learned about righteousness and what that looks like through somebody teaching you the Bible. And so I believe that this passage is teaching us here that Jesus is telling his disciples that when the Holy Spirit comes to them, that he was going to do a work through them to make this impact upon the world. And the same thing holds true for us today. Now, here's the question. What does that look like? How does that happen? Actually, before we do that, I want to give you another quote from one of my other favorite Bible teachers, Warren Wiersbe. He said this, it's important to note that the Spirit comes to the church and not the world. This means that he works in and through the church. Our bodies are his tools and temples, and he wants to use us to glorify Christ and to witness to a lost world. So how does he do that? How does he use us? How does he work in us to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment? Well, the world gets convicted of their sin of rejecting Jesus when they see people like you and I living in a vibrant relationship with Jesus. When they see that Jesus is the center of your life, that you're living for someone and something that is beyond yourself, Most people in the world today, they're living for self, but when they see you living in this vibrant relationship with Jesus, it has a way of of allowing them and making them sense, hey, I'm missing something. That guy, that gal has something going on in their life that I don't have. 
And the world gets convicted of righteousness when they see believers in Jesus living like Jesus. When they see us manifesting the love of Jesus and the care of Jesus and the heart of Jesus to care for people in need. And they see the righteousness of Jesus in us when they see us living for something greater than ourselves. That we're not caught up in this me-oriented society. And the world gets convicted of coming judgment when they see us living life with eternity in view. They see us living a life where we realize that, hey, there's an afterlife. I like to put it this way, that this life is like the prologue to the story. You know, when you're reading a book and it has a prologue and the prologue is sort of the story that sets up the story, that's what this life is for us. It's the story before the real story, that eternity, guys, for us, that's the real story. That the, this life is like a short walk in the park compared to what eternity is going to be like. It's like walking from this, this life is like walking from this stage to that back door in comparison to what eternity is going to be. It's why I remind you all the time, later is longer. It is. And later is going to be awesome. And what we do in this life is going to set up what we do in the next. When Jesus comes back at his second coming and we come back with him and he sets up his millennial reign and we play a part in his rule and his reign, we're going to have jobs to do and responsibility and, and what we're going to be doing in that realm of our life is, is going to be determined on what we did in this life as we sought to live for Jesus and what goes on beyond that and in all of eternity, you know, this life sets up what comes next. And when we realize that and we live in that type of way where we realize, hey, it's not about here. It's not about the here and now, but it's really about the there and then. People look on and they say, hey, there's something different about you. When unbelievers see us living with a loose grip on this world and the things of this world, it impacts them. You see, the mindset of so many people in the world is this. They love things and they use people. That's the mindset of the world. They love things and they use people. But the way of Jesus is that we love people and we use things. That we realize and we understand that the things that we have been given, our possessions are tools, not goals. They're tools. They're they're not the end all. They're tools to help us to walk in the way of Jesus and to be used by Jesus to bless the people around us. And when people see us living in that type, with that type of a mindset about our possessions, it causes them to stop and think there's something different with that person. And especially when they see us living with a hope instead of a fear in the face of death, it blows their mind. And a lot of you have experienced that. You know, there's a lot of teaching today in the church that focuses on the here and now. Your best life now. But you know what? I see in Scripture the opposite. I see very clearly the testimony of the early church was this. They lived differently. They seem to realize more than we do that this life is temporal. The early church was living in light. In their mindset, they believed in the imminent return of Jesus Christ. And that's one of the reasons why they were so powerful and so effective. And I think the Lord would want us to to live, to adopt that mindset, 
to really truly live and believe in a way that, hey, I think Jesus could come back at any moment and I'm living my life. And with that in mind. So this is the work the Holy Spirit is seeking to do in this world through Christ's followers today. Is he seeking to work in us, to, to use us, to gather people to himself, to make more disciples for Jesus in our world. So the first work of the Holy Spirit we see here is to gather. The second work is to guide. Now, Pastor Tyler last week talked about this guiding work of Jesus or the Holy Spirit. So I'm not going to go into great detail of, of that today. But I want you to notice one of the things it mentions here in verse 13 It says, however, when he, the spirit of truth, notice that title that's given to him, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit comes to you, he's going to guide you into all truth. And the truth that the Holy Spirit is seeking to guide us into is this, who is Jesus? who we are in Christ, and where this is all headed. Where is it all going? How does this all come about? How does this end? This is what the Holy Spirit is seeking to reveal to us. I love what Paul the Apostle writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. He says this, But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Now, usually we stop right there when we read that verse. Like God has all these amazing things for us, but we need to keep reading because in verse 10 it says, but God has revealed them to us through his spirits. That this is the beauty of the Christian life that the Holy Spirit is seeking to reveal to us all truth, to reveal to us these amazing things that God has for us or what it means for us to be in Christ and to have an inheritance in Him and to have a future in Him. The Holy Spirit is seeking to reveal, to make all of that clear to us, in other words. But notice what Jesus says again there in verse 13. He says, but He will not speak on His own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak. Now, what does that mean? He doesn't speak on his own authority. It means this, that the Spirit of God is never going to give you isolated truth. He's never going to give you isolated truth. He will not come out with some startling, brand new, absolutely different revelation that no one has ever heard before. Sometimes we hear that type of thing, right? Some pastor says, hey, I've got this new truth. I've got this new revelation. I've got this new insight, and I can share it with you. If you come to my seminar, it'll only cost you $50. Jesus is saying, that's exactly what will not happen. That's exactly what the Holy Spirit doesn't do. He never speaks in that way. He speaks only what he hears, and it's always in line with what has already been spoken, what has already been revealed in the Scripture. It will never differ from what God has said in the past, but it will fit into the context of what has already been revealed. It's been said there is no new truth. But if it's new It's probably not true. And here's a great test. If you want to test when you hear something, to just ask yourself this. Is this something that Jesus taught and modeled in the Gospels? 
Is this something that was taught and modeled by the early church in the book of Acts? Is this something that was taught in the epistles in the New Testament? And if the answer is no to any of those questions, throw it out. It's not new and it's not true. In other words, it's a great test. J. Oswald Sanders said this, A walk in the Spirit will of necessity be a walk in accordance with the word the Spirit has inspired. So the work that the Holy Spirit is seeking to do in us is to guide us into all truth and to teach us how to apply that truth in our daily lives. But the ultimate work the Holy Spirit is seeking to do is found there in verse 14 when Jesus says, and he will glorify me. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. His primary work in your life and my life is to glorify Jesus. The word glorify means to extol, to praise, to magnify, or to celebrate someone or something. And so the goal of the Holy Spirit is not to glorify himself. He's not trying to draw attention to himself. No, his goal is to glorify, to extol, to magnify, to praise, and to celebrate Jesus. His goal is not to glorify any individual or any church. And I think this is something that we need to be reminded of because we live in the day and age where people throw around phrases like this, that so-and-so is a celebrity pastor or so-and-so is a rock star pastor. That's a misnomer. That, that doesn't, th- those ideas don't even belong together. A pastor is not a celebrity. He's to be a servant. You know, there was a pastor years ago of a, large, very large church who fell. He's not in the ministry anymore. Committed adultery. Ruined his marriage, ruined his ministry. And a guy I know who knew him asked him, what in the world happened to you? And this is what the guy said. He goes, I got caught up in my own celebrity. And he said, when did you become a celebrity? It's like, you know, seriously. But that's what happens. You know, we live in this day and age where we, you know, give awards to Christian musicians to acknowledge, you know, their gifting. It's one of the reasons why I love guys like, like Phil Wickham and Jeremy Camp, because they're, they're so humble. They realize that anything that they have has been given to them by the Lord. The goal of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus not some person, not some individual. And you know what? He wants to do that in your life as well. He wants to use your life to glorify Jesus. That's why Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5, in verse 14, he says, you are the light of the world, speaking to his disciples, speaking to us. You're the light of the world. The city that is set upon a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Jesus says, hey, you guys, you're the light of the world. 
You're, you're meant to, to shine in this world. You have a light, the light of Jesus Christ. He said first, I'm the light of the world. Then he looked at his disciples and says, you guys are the light of the world. Why? Because they had his light in them. And the light that we have, listen, it's not a spotlight that shines down on us. That's not the point. No, it's a light that's like a lighthouse that shines out. That's to light the way. For people that don't know Jesus. The people that are caught in the storms and the chaos of life. The light that emanates from us, that Jesus has put in us, is to be a light that when others see it, that they see Jesus in us and they glorify God because of that. It's a light that is meant in the way that we live through our good works As we live our lives with Jesus as the center, as we live our lives seeking to walk in righteousness, as we live our lives in a way that we realize that, hey, there's more to life than this life, that people see that and they realize whatever he has, whatever she has, I want it. And some of you, you're followers of Jesus today because of that light. You saw that in somebody else and you said, you know what? That's what I want. They have a joy. They have a peace. They have a satisfaction. They have a sense of purpose that I don't have. What is it? And that's why Peter, I think it was Peter, who said that we should always have a reason. Be able to give a reason for the hope that we have inside of us. So as we close today, if you are here today and you are not a follower of Jesus Christ. You haven't given your life to Jesus. And earlier I was talking about that void and you were like going, you know what, that's me. I've got that void. I've been trying to fill this hole in my heart with so many things and, and I haven't been able to do that and, and nothing satisfies. Listen, Jesus, he's the only one that can fill that void and he'll fill it for you today. If you're here today and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ and you have been looking for rightness in this world, this crazy world in which we live in, you're only going to find that in the person of Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ and you don't have a hope in the face of death, but you instead have a fear as you think about dying because you don't know what comes for you after that, you don't know where you would go, you can have that hope and assurance today by just opening up your heart to Jesus. In just a moment, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. But for those of us who are believers, I want to remind you today, I want to remind us today, the Holy Spirit wants to work in our lives to empower us and equip us to live lives that will be contagious to those who are around us. That the Holy Spirit is seeking to give us a a sense of confidence in the midst of the chaos because we know that Jesus is our King that he is on the throne and that he is coming back and we want to live with that sense that he could come back at any moment. Can I get an amen to that? And Jesus wants us to know, all of us here who are believers, that you and I, we exist. We have been saved to glorify Jesus. That Jesus would be glorified in and through our lives. And here's what I want to encourage you to do this week, church. I want you to be praying, Lord, show me what that looks like in my life. Show me what that is supposed to look like where I work. 
Show me, Lord, what that's supposed to look like, how I can glorify you. This week, when I gather around a table with family and friends of no more than 10, (laughs) just kidding. (laughs) As I gather around the table with family and friends and some of them aren't going to know you, Lord, show me what that's supposed to look like. How can I glorify you in that situation? How can I glorify you in the lives of my neighbors. Lord, show me what that looks like. You begin to pray in that way. Lord, I want to glorify you today. Show me what that looks like. You're going to find him opening up some doors. He's going to show you some things. He's going to begin to to lead you. He's going to open up opportunities, and it's going to blow your mind. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. And we thank you so much, Lord, for your Holy Spirit. That, Lord, you said, I'm not going to leave you guys orphans. Not leaving us to our, on our own. But you have come in the person of your Spirit to fill our hearts, to lead us, to guide us, to teach us, and to empower us to live for you to make an impact in this world, that that this world could be changed, convicted of their need for you, of what right living is supposed to look like, of the reality that this life (laughs) isn't the end. And that can happen in the way that we live our lives. God, do that work in us. And Lord, I pray right now for anybody here in this room that doesn't know you, who's never asked you to come into their life and forgive them of their sins, who senses right now there's a void in them that's never been filled. And Lord, I pray today that as they take this step of faith, that to embrace what you did for them, that you would open up their hearts and that you would come in and that you would do a work in them. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, you've never asked him to forgive you of your sins and to come into your heart, I want to encourage you right now to just quietly repeat this prayer after me. To say, dear Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. And I need a Savior. I admit there's a void in my heart. I understand now that you're the only one can fill. So I'm asking you today to forgive me, to cleanse me, to come into my heart and make it your home. And from this day forward, I want to follow you. I want to live for you. Thank you, Jesus.